Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 213. We're joining every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at networknerd underscore. Hey Nick, how's it going? Hey John, I'm doing great. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, I just wanted to mention again that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is now live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, the various topics and concepts that we've uh, discussed and figure out where else they've been discussed on the site. For example, if you enjoy a discussion with a specific guest, see where else that guest has been mentioned by other guests even, or just by us. Really cool thing that we've developed there, if I do say so myself. We are really interested in any feedback that anybody has. So if you like or don't like it, definitely let us know. This week is the second of a two-part conversation that we had with Leah White, right? Yeah. It's shocking to me that this was two parts, but hey, that happens sometimes on Nerd Journey. If you missed part one in episode 212, go back and take a listen. We talked about how Leah studied engineering and life happened. She had to redefine success. She started in recruitment at the University of Phoenix, was eventually laid off, found a job with a meal plan, and then she moved to Accenture. She also talks a little bit about the value of internships there to companies, which was pretty interesting. What about this week, John? A little bit later on in the discussion, I want people to watch out for addressing kind of the topic of the day, which is layoffs. Leah's a professional recruiter, so getting her perspective on People who are nervous about their positions during these times of layoffs or, you know, if you've been laid off, you know, maybe the things that you should be focusing on or any of those things. Very interesting advice for her from her. How about you, Nick? I would pose this question to those listening. Would you change jobs if you felt like you lost one of your biggest advocates for you as a person in terms of your professional value delivered to the company? and how do you know if the grass is going to be greener on the other side? Well, the only thing left to do, John, is we have to find out. Here we go with part two of our discussion with Leah White. Tell us about the amazing lead that you worked for in Accenture and how that led to something something new, even after Accenture? I mean, at Accenture, I really was in my comfort zone. I mean, I enjoyed, you know, what I was doing, you know, and, and it was a lot of fun. You know, even as a remote employee, I didn't feel like I was on an island by myself. You know, I was very engaged with my peers across the country, you know, we would have, you know, virtual wedding showers and baby showers and all that, that good stuff. And so I was very comfortable until I woke up one morning and then got an alert that my amazing lead, uh, Jennifer Coffin, left. She was leaving. 
right? She was leaving. And it was that point in time that I realized how important it was for me to have an advocate, right? I didn't feel that absence because I'd had an amazing advocate. This was someone that was always raising her hand for sourcing and saying, this is what we're doing. So I always felt like a valued employee, even though I was a contractor. But when she left, there was that void. I don't have that advocate. I'm not sure if everyone else that's here will see my value. I I don't know how I feel, you know, in this environment anymore, even though the environment hadn't really changed. I didn't feel, you know, as comfortable as I had been. So I had my couple of days, right, of depression where, oh, where'd where'd she go and what's going on? And then I decided, well, you know what, Let, let me be open. I haven't been looking. I haven't really, you know, put myself out there to even be aware of what other opportunities were because I was so comfortable. And that's when I began to look. I found that Jen had had gone over to Veeam and I had never heard of Veeam. And it was really strange that I hadn't because Veeam is actually, you know, part of a a solution package that Accenture offers, right? But I I hadn't really understood all the different pieces of, of what our consultants did. But when I began to look and see what Veeam was about, I found, okay, well, this is a amazing company, you know, industry leader, data protection, you know, in over 30 plus countries. Hey, they've got some amazing initiatives for, for women, you know, over there. Okay. Wow. Let me, let me keep looking a little bit more. I began to talk to some people in the organization and got to learn about the ERGs that were at Veeam, started meeting people and feeling like, okay, ERGs, this looks pretty good. Yes. The, the employee resource group, sorry. Oh, okay. Employee resource group. So we're talking about organizations that are really founded by employees within the organization, promoting, you know, inclusion and, and amazing community activities and all that good stuff. So when you're looking at organizations, a lot of folks say, yeah, the culture is great. You know, we do this and this is what we do. And, you know, you're always wondering how much of that is talk, right? How much of that is real. But I, I trusted my lead because I thought, well, you know what? Even if I don't know everything about this organization, I trust her decision-making. She was an amazing lead. I don't believe that she would have gone over to this organization without doing some due diligence. And so that's really what opened the door for me to do some additional investigation in Veeam. And I can say that I I wasn't disappointed, you know, transitioning to Veeam. When I came through the door, of course, I'm looking like, okay, is this really what I what I thought it was going to be, right? And for what, what really made me feel like this was an amazing decision is when I first started, there was a really huge event that was broadcast virtually for everyone to attend. And I'll never forget, one of the main keynote speakers was a woman that had blue hair and black lipstick. And she was dressed very casually on the stage as a keynote speaker on the side of a man that was wearing a three-piece suit. And I thought, this is culture, okay? This is really diversity. Because in every other organization that I've been a part of or observed, there's this feeling of I maybe I can't be 100% myself. I need to, you know, what is what am I supposed to look like when I'm presenting, you know, for this company? And so that was eye-opening. I was able to really see the diversity, really able to see the, the women's initiatives. You know, it wasn't just talk. It was real. You know, when I came to Veeam and I, you know, have embraced that completely as a part of the ERG myself. And, and I use that um, when I, when I'm communicating with candidates, I can really give my personal experience. You know, I'm not just kind of talking fluff. I could say, this is what I experienced being at Veeam. And I think that that's just so important, you know, for, for that candidate conversation to get that perspective. 
And did you say that your lead actually suggested you join or did you or were your motivations to join more because that's where she went? Well, really, my interest in looking was because that was where she went. I was going to start looking multiple places, right? Oh, okay. I didn't even know anything about Veeam. And so it made me take a look at Veeam because she, you know, went that direction. But in, and that really just opened my eyes completely. And as I looked at some other opportunities, they just really didn't stack up to what Veeam was offering. Because you went from a publicly traded company in Accenture to a privately held company in Veeam. Are there any noticeable differences in those types of companies that candidates should be aware of that come to mind? I would say just maybe the overall structure is a bit different. You know, I really feel like I have more of a value add to my impact at Veeam, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Accenture is huge. It's amazing. You know, I, I got a lot of things done there. I had a lot of experience there, but I really feel like in this opportunity, because sourcing was new to Veeam, this was, you know, this was a completely different new piece that they decided to, to create at oh. Veeam. And so I feel like I'm making an impact, you know, at the ground level, you know, so I would say, you know, when you're evaluating your opportunities, get a feel for what it is that you're looking to achieve. And do you feel like you can do that in that setting? And so I'd done the things that I thought were, was, were great to do at Accenture, but I wanted to make more of a difference. And so when I looked at my opportunities, I tried to figure out where I could be a difference maker. And I had a coworker the other day, we were talking about a candidate and I really love the way that she worded something. She was talking about a candidate as we were evaluating a couple of different potential candidates for a role. And she said, I believe that this candidate could step in to the situation, but I'm not sure if he could make a difference is what she said. And I thought that was so well-spoken and it was based on her conversations that she had with him because there was nothing that he shared that made her feel like he was seeking to make a difference. It was kind of, oh, this is what I've done. And it's, I've, I can, I've seen this and I've done this, but there was no, when she was asking him, what do you want to do? There was no real answer in what he wanted to accomplish. And so that's what really helped me make that decision to transition to, to Veeam. I wanted to make a difference and I felt like I would have a greater impact at Veeam versus some of the other options. Sounds like because you got in, we'll just say you kind of got in early because it was new to Veeam, that continues to line up with this theme of flexibility or pattern of flexibility that John pointed out earlier. In my mind, that was one of the things I thought of. Because if you're early in an organization's adoption of a specific role, I would think that gives you a little bit more freedom to adjust than maybe if it's highly structured within the organization for a number of years. Absolutely. An opportunity to adjust, but really make an, an impact. And that's one of the pieces that I bring out or highlight, I should say, when I'm talking to a candidate about a new role. So if it's a new role at the organization, I like to say, hey, this is not a backfill. This is not something that we've had before. It's a new role. So you have an opportunity to really put your, you know, your handprint in this, maybe even shape this a little bit, right? Because if it's new, that doesn't mean that we're going to keep this role the way that we've written it out on paper. Okay. You might come in and make an impact and we say, you know what? That's, 
really what we were looking for, even though we didn't know we were looking for it, if that makes sense. Yeah, the ability to make an impact gives you purpose to your work. And I liked what you said earlier about a candidate maybe not demonstrating in conversations with the hiring teams that they wanted to fulfill a certain purpose, make a certain impact. Maybe we don't think enough about that when we go looking for a new opportunity. Like, oh, I want to do something super nerdy and technical, but what does that really mean? It's sort of like you could do a technical project, but you need to be able to state the business outcome. So when you want to go and do technical work, what is the outcome you're going to make happen for the company and the outcome you're going to make happen for yourself? And hopefully, if those align, then it could be a really good fit for both sides. So I, I guess you call it uh, candidate career alignment, maybe? I'm just going to throw that out there. No, that that's perfect. You know, it, it's so important when speaking with the candidate that you have a clear idea of what they're looking to do. Because you can take a look on your end as the recruiter and see what the typical career pathway is for this role. So if the candidate says, well, this is what I'm looking to do in the next five years, and, and you're looking at this role and thinking, well, that's not the direction you're going to go in this particular role. Well, we need to talk about that because this is not going to make you happy and you're probably going to leave in a couple of years. And so this didn't make sense for you. It didn't make sense for us as the investment on our end. And so you really need to think through that. And And I find that often when I'm speaking with a candidate that they haven't always thought of that. And so you can really raise that question and make it thought provoking. And sometimes the candidate will bow out and say, you know what, you know, after thinking about this, this isn't what I want to do. I'd like to, you know, go ahead and withdraw myself from consideration, you know, but that is so important to, to bring to the surface. I was wondering if we could relate this to the situation that you find yourself in where you were joining a company that was kind of expanding a new role or a new department. If, if you're, I guess, talking to somebody and selling a position like that, what do you think that you wish that you had known going into that that you could advise other people? Is there a way to gauge how serious the organization is about you know, this new type of role, if if it doesn't work out or they, they change their minds, are they planning on firing all those people that they brought on? Or or do they have, you know, different types of roles to, to roll them into? What are those kinds of things? I mean, maybe you already had them in mind and maybe you only have them in mind now from, you know, looking back at it from, from time. Well, that's a great question. You know, for me, I, I had those same thoughts, right? I wanted to make sure that I wasn't leaving a place and then going somewhere where there would only be a temporary opportunity. And so there were a lot of questions. I wanted to know what was the goal, you know, for this new department? Okay, what else has been brought to the table, you know, recently? What are the new initiatives have happened? And what I learned and what I was really excited about with Veeam is that sourcing wasn't the only new, new, right? There were other areas of the organization that were created and they'd hired talent for and hired leadership for. And so I was able to see clear investment. And so I always suggest that you look for that investment that the organization is making. Take a look at leadership. Okay, what what are the choices that leadership is making? And so that's one thing that I'm super excited about at Veeam when I take a look at the decisions of leadership. 
at this point in time, we haven't had, you know, the layoffs and the, and the negative things that have been, you know, across the industry and are, you know, scary. Those are scary things. And we haven't had that take place at Veeam, you know, at this point in time. And I think that that's clearly a reflection of our leadership of good decision-making, of planning, of responsible growth. And that's so important. So if you're able to look at that history, right, what's going on, you know, what are the new initiatives? And you have, I would say, a pretty clear forecast of what you can look forward to. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That all of those things are things that maybe it's a little bit more difficult to tease out while one is in the interview process. But are maybe things that somebody needs to keep in mind. And and maybe that um, affects questions that they ask of the, the people who are interviewing them. When you get to that, well, do you have any questions for me? Maybe one, uh, one should have that as a follow-up question. Hey, what do you see as you know the organization's commitment to this type of role? Do you think it's long-term or do you think it's short-term? How, have you experienced them changing their minds about this kind of investment in the past? And who's doing this now, if anyone at the company? Like, yeah. are we peeling this responsibility off of someone who's already doing it and putting it into a dedicated person? Great questions. Absolutely. You know, definitely press those buttons and ask that hiring manager or that person that's interviewing you, even what are their next initiatives? Get a feel for where their mindset is. What are you looking to do? What are your personal goals, you know, within the organization? And that would kind of give you a little bit of a baseline of, you know, what that perspective is, you know, for your opportunity. I feel like we're making a natural transition to maybe picking your brain a little bit about the process that people find themselves in, especially, you know, more and more these days with, you know, companies doing layoffs, you know, more people find themselves on the market looking for jobs. And, and typically people are not experts at searching for a new job. People don't want to think that they have to change jobs. So they, they don't go through a process, you know, Nick and I have kind of personally advocated, well, you know, maybe you should be taking two interviews a year, regardless of whether or not you're thinking about changing your job, just to, to keep your hand in and, and possibly find out if there's anything better than what you're doing anyway. I'm imagining that you are kind of seeing on a regular basis, because you're in sourcing, people who have not thought about changing. And as a result, they're maybe coming from a cold start. Do you have any advice on the things that maybe people should be keeping warm just in case, you know, they find themselves recruited, sourced, or if they find themselves in a situation where they're in a reduction of force. One thing that I would certainly advise that everyone do is that you keep, you know, notation of your accomplishments. You know, a lot of the time, it's so easy to forget them. You work on so many projects, you have so many things that are going on and you forget this great thing that you were a part of, right? And so I'm frequently speaking with people who do not have a resume handy because I've sought them out, right? I've, I've seen a, a little blurb of who they are maybe on LinkedIn. And of course, LinkedIn never tells the whole story, right? So when I'm speaking with someone, I'm trying to understand a little bit more about them if I ask for a resume or if I ask for a little bit of extra detail to maybe be able to share that information with my team, a lot of times people don't always have that. And that's fair. That's fair because you you aren't looking, right? You, you aren't looking at opportunities. But if you ever decide that you'd like to, 
then it'd be great for you to have, you know, all of that information stored somewhere, you know, some notation that you can refer to, you know, especially if you're asked a question in your interview about, tell me about a time when you did this or what's an obstacle or an accomplishment. And, and you want to have those numbers, you know, available on hand to, to refer to for sure. Documenting the work. Yes. It's pretty um, important to do that because even if you're not changing jobs, you know, sometimes you want a raise or a promotion, or maybe you're going to get, you know, find an internal job at the same organization, but a little bit better or something more to your liking. And then you're going to need all that stuff anyway, right? People generally don't get, you know, huge raises without any kind of justification. You kind of have to have a record of your accomplishments. You do, you do. And it really is on you to do that, you know. Of course, leadership is, is aware, you know, hopefully of the of the amazing things that you've done. But I mean, how many things are they, you know, tracking or in charge of? And so they're not going to have a list of all the all the things, you know, that you did, you know, personally, you know, all of the time. So if you can keep that map of your achievements, that will certainly come in handy. But it also allows you to be accountable and responsible for what you have achieved. You know, you're able to look at that and see, have I? Have I done enough? Am I really adding my value? Do I need to brush up on a few areas? I mean, you know, am I, am I bringing all I can to the table? Am I making sure that I'm going to have longevity here if I'd like to have it? And so that really does put a little bit more of the accountability on you if you keep a listing of what you do. What's something you said? You said, you know, sometimes we don't remember ourselves you know, necessarily what we've done. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, we have this unreasonable expectation that our manager or, you know, skip level who has maybe 10 times the people or 100 times the people, somehow they are remembering. Like, I don't remember what I did, but yeah. my manager yeah. who's in charge of 10 people is supposed to remember yeah, or the director who has 100, you know, like that, <laughs> that, it just doesn't make any sense. But it also maybe speaks to, people not quite understanding how those jobs work, right? The managerial jobs. Do you see any patterns, Leah, in common reasons that people you talk to want to make a job change? Yes. And I would say it, it really, it really varies. You have people that are, you know, just a little bit bored at what they do. They don't feel challenged anymore. They've been doing the same thing for a long time and, and maybe they thought that they would have received a promotion by now or had something amazing happen and it hasn't happened. And so they no longer maybe feel as excited or as valued in that role. You see folks that feel like they should have, you know, maybe move forward and they didn't. And so they kind of question, will they ever get that opportunity? So that happens. And we see, you know, folks that just don't maybe enjoy the folks that they work with anymore. Maybe there's been some some changes, you know, with some teams, maybe some restructuring, uh, maybe an acquisition. And so sometimes just that comfort isn't there, you know, anymore. And then, you know, folks also are just in general, maybe a little burnt out and looking for a change. And so, and then also more recently, one thing that I have seen is just the compatibility with with the lifestyle, you know, we've gone from remote to, you know, back in office and the requirements of what you have to do and the travel may have changed and maybe someone's in a different place in their life now and they can't really, you know, work with that change, you know, so there, there really are just, are just so many reasons why people 
leave today, but I, I always like to say, be careful of that movement. You know, one thing that recruiters are really keen on is that stability, right? So it really is a red flag if you're looking at someone's history and they are moving to a different organization every year or every two years. It really makes you think, well, chances are if we bring you on board here, you're only going to be here for a year or two and then our investment is gone. Maybe we should have gone with someone else. And so, you know, while of course there's a million reasons, you know, to, to look for a new opportunity, make sure that that brand that you're building for yourself, okay, that it really shows who you are, right? You want to make sure that you look good, that you look professional, like you look like you are going to really be somewhere and do your best, you know, because that's really going to be a, a huge reflection of, of who you are to a recruiter. Even if you have to turn it down, right? Even if you bow out of the process, you still want a positive brand reflection. Absolutely. I mean, the, the community is small, right? I mean, it's not what it used to be where, you know, you turn in your page of referrals, right? You know, this is, you know, who you want to call. Referral is word of mouth these days. Somebody knows somebody. And so you may turn in your page of referrals and chances are we might not call them because we know where you work. We know somebody that used to work there that works here now. We're going to ask about, you know, your performance, about your personality, who you are. And so you want to, you need to know that you are your brand and your brand needs to stay positive. Yeah, for sure. On the flip side of the previous question, any patterns you're seeing for people who don't take the job or don't want to make a change? Yeah, you know, it's really hard to move away from happy, right? It's, you know, and you, you often say, you know, don't break happy. You know, you don't want to mess with happy. And so if someone is where they are and, and I have, you know, sought them out, right? And they are comfortable where they are because they love the culture. They love people that we are working with. They feel valued. They feel like they are really on a trajectory upward. It's hard. It's really hard to get someone to, to walk away and potentially mess up happy and risk not having that at the new place. And so I'd say that would be the number one reason, you know, why, why we don't um, land, right? Some of the, the fish that we're hoping, you know, to catch to move over to the new opportunity. Can I ask you a question about the, the job marketplace right now? I keep on hearing, hey, it's an incredible job market. The employment rate is super low or unemployment rate is super low. People still need to compete for jobs. And at the same time, you know, certain organizations are cutting, you know, huge amounts of people. So there's maybe a perception that there's a huge number of people that one might be competing with, you know, for those supposedly many opportunities. So is it a job seekers market or is it a employer's market right now, in your opinion? Or maybe it's not that simple. Well, I, I would say what complicates things are the particular roles. I think it depends on what type of professional you are. So if you are a niche professional, if you are, you know, a technical professional with a very unique, very in-demand skill set, you, you've got options and you probably always will have those options. But if your skill set is a bit more general, 
if there are, you know, more folks out there that can, that can offer, you know, the same skill set that you have, then yeah, you're going to be competing, you know, with more individuals. And that's just the way that it's always going to be at Veeam, just like, you know, many other organizations are still hiring in certain areas, right? In certain areas, not in every single opportunity that we have across the board, you know, that, that may be a little bit more generalized. And so I think that that's important to keep in mind. You want to make sure that your skill set is very valuable. So if you have the opportunity at your organization to grow that skill set, if there are those extra classes, those extra projects that you can pick up to grow your skill set, you need to do that. You need to make sure that you're able to, to be, you know, in that niche area if needed, just to give yourself a little bit more job stability. There's certainly opportunities out there, but as we know, the, the marketplace is much dicier, you know, than it was, you know, a, a year or two ago, for sure. Got it. So there's not one job market. It's a series of micro markets. Yes, absolutely. That's a great observation. I, I appreciate that. Of course. But also, I appreciate the, the lesson that you're kind of preaching there, which is, as we are continue to be employed, you know, we should always make sure that we are growing our specialized skill sets, the ones that are rare and in demand and can keep us employed or keep us in high demand if we suddenly need to change. Because, you know, as always, there's there's reasons that we might need to, to move around, right? Like I have a friend whose spouse you know, went to medical school and it was like, that was across the country. What needs to find a job? And if one has like h highly in-demand skills, then, you know, maybe that's not such a big deal. Absolutely. And keeping in mind that those highly in-demand skills often don't have the same location, you know, restrictions or parameters as well. The more niche someone is, the more open, you know, employers are to employ that person. And so you just want to make sure that you are very aware, you know, of what you offer, of what you can bring to the table. And you can't just ever get comfortable in the fact that you're willing to stop raising your hand and stop learning. You have to continue to grow. Here's a question, Leah. And when I ask this question, I hope you realize the intent behind it is just because I think people wonder it and it's not a knock on anyone. I think there's always a question in people's minds about how much should I really share with a recruiter? How much do I really trust this person as I go through the process? What's your take on that? I think that that's very fair. I mean, when you're speaking with someone on the end of, other end of the phone or the other end of the message, I mean, you don't know that person or what their intentions are or what their end goal is. And so I think that it's very fair to be, you know, hesitant on what you share. I do think that if there are any real obstacles, any real non-negotiables, that it's in your best interest to share those things in advance, just to not even, you know, waste your time. So if you're taking a look at an opportunity and you know that travel 50% is just not going to work for you, don't feel uncomfortable to come out of the gate and say, let's talk about what the travel, you know, situation is going to look like. If you know that you've recently received an increase, you know, with your current employer and there is a certain compensation level that you need to be at, or it doesn't make any sense, then, you know, be comfortable, you know, speaking up and saying that. I mean, it, it doesn't need to be a situation where you're going through multiple rounds of the interview process in hopes that everything's going to align with what you're looking for. You know, it's, it's, 
it's fair for you to ask your questions and get all the information you need early in advance. You know, you don't have to share, you know, all of your reasons why, you know, oh, I got, you know, these 10 bills and I have this and I have this and that to do, you know, that's, that's, that doesn't make a difference. Those are your, your non-negotiables. And so I think you should feel confident in stating what your needs are, that you don't feel like you have to make excuses or give reasons on why that's what you're looking for. If that makes sense, you know, if what you bring to the table, if you're confident in what you have to offer, and if you're the best candidate for that role, then be confident, you know, in asking those questions and making those non-negotiables known up front. Yeah, because that'll qualify you in or out. Like the recruiter or a person on the other end of the phone can then qualify you in or out if something you say is just completely out of the range of possibility, or I would hope so. Hey, that compensation range is honestly something we would never offer for a position like this. So it's probably best that we don't continue talking kind of thing. Absolutely. But there's also this piece of leveling. Career titles are different from one organization to another. So if you're a consultant at one company, that same title at another company may mean a different level and a completely different pay level, right? Mm, And so if you're able to share with the recruiter, this is what I'm looking for, you know, because, you know, it doesn't matter what your title is per se, that recruiter looking at that title may have a different assumption of what, who you are and what you do and what you earn. So you're able to really get on the same page and level set at the beginning to make sure that expectations are where they need to be on both ends. That's a really interesting point. I think my experience at Google was that most people didn't understand that the leveling conversation started from the very first time somebody spoke to a recruiter, that that judgment was kind of being unofficially made and it was being solidified the more conversations went on. And of course it wasn't ever impossible to say, Oh, yeah, I don't understand why we're not talking about this person as one level up, you know, or two levels up, you know, certainly never impossible, but the longer the process goes, like the more difficult, you know, the more people are kind of locked into the judgments that have been gone before. So it almost sounds like you're advocating like a candid conversation of, well, here's what seniority level I'm at. This is the type of large projects that I've been handling, both in scope and complexity and dollar impact and and so on and so forth. And as a result, maybe that means that I'm expecting a certain level of compensation, you know, if I were to move, are we on the same page with seniority and compensation? before we even move forward. Is that kind of the direction that you're talking about? Absolutely, because it may be a situation where the recruiter has taken a look at just a little summary of who you are, potentially on LinkedIn or or through a referral or through, you know, viewing your profile wherever, and they may have an idea of your level based on a role that they're hoping to fill. But in conversation with you, they may find that, no, you're more senior, you know, than this role. Maybe down the line, they'll have a more senior opportunity that's a better fit for you. So unless you really share all the details about what you've done and what you're looking for, you can potentially close opportunities that you may have been brought in the future if they don't have a clear understanding of who you are. And you have to remember that the level that you come in at, depending on the organization, 
is really key because that also is a basis for your performance growth. So if you come in and you've, you know, said all the magic words, hoping that you're coming in at a higher level, then when you're evaluated at that level, you might not get that performance bump, you know, or that extra project because you were expected to be performing at a higher level based on the level that you entered into. So there's no shame like to tell folks in coming in at the right level. You need to be fair to yourself and come in at the right level so you can achieve that growth that you're looking to hit. You don't want to miss the targets. You want to make and surpass those targets. And so it's important that everyone has a clear picture of the level. Now in certain roles, it's easier because that's going to happen in certain tech roles. You're going to go through maybe potentially some testing that's going to put you right at a certain level. Okay. But in other areas, that's not as easily, you know, determined, you know, from a test. And so you want to make sure that you're, you know, having that conversation that shares everything about what you've done, what you're looking to do, you know, along with compensation to make sure that everyone's on the same page and agrees with the level. You don't want to come in at a C plus compared to the measuring stick because it was too high. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're not going to be there that long if that's the situation. And that's just setting you up for, for the opposite of success. I know that at the front of people's minds right now is the layoffs we're seeing in the tech industry, Leah. If someone had that happen to them, how should they approach that with the recruiter? Like, is that looked upon negatively? Should they be concerned how would you recommend broaching that conversation? Because a lot of times it's it's really nothing they did. It's just the, the company needed to cut costs and here's where they cut it. Absolutely. There's no shame in saying you were let go. I mean, I, I just told you guys how I've experienced that in myself. There's absolutely no shame in that. As a matter of fact, you want to be very transparent on any with any gaps on your on your employment record. So if you were let go a couple of months ago, make that known because the recruiter is trying to figure out what's going on. Why did you leave your last employer? You know, what are you up to now? So if you are transparent and you say you were let go and you give, you know, still the information that shows, you know, how you were successful in that role before you were let go, that's extremely helpful. You know, we really look at even the periods of time, you know, within COVID with a grain of salt. If we see that there's a little bit of hopping there, we know that that's probably, that probably wasn't completely your decision, right? You know, during that period of time, things were just really weird, you know, during that period of time. And so if you've got longevity before that, and then you've got a couple of places, you know, with smaller stints, then we completely understand that if you have a length of time that was a contract, put that on there, list that that was a contract opportunity. And that's why the stint was shorter. And then that's just a piece of that transparency. And the recruiter can believe, you know, that you are going to be an invested professional in the future, if selected. That's really uh, great advice. I think if you look at somebody's resume, and they're, you know, pretty senior, and you notice that they weren't that employed, like from 2008 to 2009, like immediately after the housing bubble burst and, you know, there's a bunch of economic problems, you don't say, oh, like, why? <laughs> or why weren't you good enough? It's just like, hey, the, the whole world was in trouble right then, right? I often give that advice to moms. We see a lot of times where you might have a woman that has a gap 
right on her resume. She had a child. She was out of the industry, you know, for a year or two. It can't be something that we feel like we need to hide. Okay. That's your life that happened in your life. That was your decision. And now you're back in the industry looking for a new role. If you share that information with the recruiter and let them know, okay, well, this, this year here, I was out because I was taking care of a sick parent. Hey, that happens. That happens. But that lets the recruiter know that that was a personal decision that you made. It wasn't something where, you know, you were, were let go for poor performance and then couldn't find a job, you know, for two years. Because if you just see that gap on the resume, the recruiter has no idea why you weren't working, you know, gainfully. And you have to remember that the recruiter is often your advocate. We're having conversations with the hiring manager and the rest of the team about you. We're the ones that met you and we have a feel for you'd be great for this team, but we're passing along that paper to people that haven't had that conversation with you. And so we need to be able to say, hey, Nick, John, they're great. Talk with them. They'd be a great fit for the team. I know you're going to notice this one year, you know, of nothing on the resume. They were taking care of a sick parent or they, you know, had to, you know, deal with the medical situation and then they got back in industry. That's always important. Yeah, it's been really cool to hear this advice. I think if I look back at it and I go, hey, you know, there's just been some nuggets of gold. Like maybe if you are in a position and you feel like you're not being challenged, maybe there's been a lack of promotion. Maybe you don't enjoy the lifestyle or the people that you work with anymore. I think those are the the reasons why people uh, move that you mentioned. Then maybe that's a clue to oneself that one should start to think about moving. And But at the same time, if, if you're super happy in what you're doing, then you might not have to think about it. But you still need to kind of look at your skill set and make a good self-assessment to see whether or not you are investing in developing those specialized in-demand skills that are going to keep you employed and in demand if you suddenly are on market. I, I feel like that is like an amazing insight into just career management in general. And lets you think about whether or not you should be raising your hand more because sometimes it's, you know, that onus is on us. I mean, am I not receiving a promotion because I haven't been raising my hand and trying to work outside of what my current role is? I mean, that initiative, you know, really helps you be visual when there are opportunities that open up internally for you to have that consideration. Amazing. We're, we're wrapping down and you're still, uh, you're still dropping uh, truth bombs. It's been so amazing to talk to you. Um, I, I want to make sure that before we close out, if you have any messages or ideas or additional things that, that you think that we haven't covered, we want to give you a chance to say anything before we actually close. I I appreciate that ask. I mean, one thing that I I guess I would also add to it, you know, we mentioned one of the reasons why people stay at an organization is because they enjoy the people that they're working with. And I would say, make sure you're a part of that, you know, make sure that you're one of those great people, right, that 
helps people stay, you know, at your organization because that, that helps you and that helps the rest of your organization. So if you can be that mentor or be that great teammate or be that person that, you know, helps people smile, you know, or coordinates, you know, that, you know, virtual party or sends a gift card or congratulates someone and gives them a kudos, then you're that great person that helps those other great people that you so enjoy working with stay. So if you can add to that as one of those reasons to help the people that you like so much around you stay, then do that. (laughs) That only helps you. It only helps them. You just cannot avoid dropping even more nuggets of gold on us. Like we we own the culture, right? As individuals, we own the culture on our teams. Like we maybe can't affect the culture, you know, organization wide because we're not in that leadership, but you know, we model the culture that we're looking for, right? Absolutely. Where can people find you if they want to follow up on this discussion, Leah? Feel free, you know, always to to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I have probably a really crazy, diverse group of folks I'm connected to from multiple industries and multiple levels, but but I'm I'm always happy, you know, to connect with someone and, and hopefully answer a question or try to send them to someone else that I know, right, has answers that I don't have, you know, so definitely, you know, grow your network, stay engaged with people. You know, if you, if you, you know, hear something that you think might be helpful to someone else, you know, share that, you know, share that whether or not it's career related or personal, you know, I can't think of how many times I've sent someone just some random information that I thought they'd appreciate, whether or not it was a recipe, you know, or a sermon, (laughs) you know, that I heard that was encouraging, right? So just whatever, you know, you can do to, to spread that positivity. Well, Leah White, thank you so much for spending time with us on their journey. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you, John. It's my pleasure. I had a blast. Thank you. Nick, as we listen back to this episode, I'm kind of kicking myself. I really wish that we had asked Leah about the unique perspective of a recruiter actually doing job seeking, you know, as she left her position when her, her manager left, I think she briefly mentioned that following her manager wasn't the only opportunity that she had. And I really wish we had dug into that and said, well, you know, as a recruiter, like you probably have a unique perspective in doing job seeking and like, what was that perspective? Maybe we can have her back on and, and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the the downside to having guests and doing editing later is you, you think of things you wish you could have asked during the interview. I, I feel like there have been so many guests where, oh, I wish I had asked them this. I wish I had asked them that. It happens to me a lot as well. But yeah, just fantastic series of episodes with Leah. How about that? instance of Leah being able to see a company actually model the culture that they promote based on what she saw at the company event with a woman on stage next to a man and the differences in dress and it really made Leah understand that the grass was greener like she had thought on the other side and that it it was going to be okay to bring her full self to the office. Yeah, I totally agree. You have to see your leadership model what it is that they say the culture is, right? 
And if you don't see that, if the company says they have a set of values and then they don't model those values, then that's kind of a, a red flag. You know, it's not the be all end all because some of us have different perceptions of, you know, what effective modeling of those cultural values are. So you just have to keep that in mind. It's, it's not a one and done thing. And, you know, maybe it was a one-off event, but the bigger the impact, like the, the bigger the red flag, right? Exactly. Another question that I wish we had asked Leah was the advisability of following a leader to a new position, especially more than once. She, she hasn't done it more than once, but you know, I've heard a kind of a soft rule of sure you can, you can follow your manager to a new job, but if you do it more than once then that's kind of a red flag, but you know, it'd be interesting to get her take as a recruiter or as a sourcer for that perspective, right? Hey, what if you see or talk to somebody and they say, oh, you know, I followed my manager. Oh, and then I followed my manager again, or I was recruited by this person twice. What impact does that have on your perception of them? Again, as somebody who's sourcing somebody to apply for a job. Yeah. And it'd be cool to talk to someone who actually was recruited by their manager two different times and how it went and would they do it again if given the chance. I, it right. reminds me of one of the episodes with Evan Olford where he said, find that great manager. That continues to just pulse through my mind constantly because his manager at one company was the one that encouraged him to go to the next company. And he's been right. very successful. You know, and it's kind of a trope, right? The trope is, you know, we don't quit companies. We quit, we quit management, our immediate management, and maybe our, our immediate coworkers. And, you know, the same thing. If you see that great management go somewhere else and then reach out to you say and say, hey, it's it's great over here, then you tend to trust them because they've been so good to you before. Always something to keep in mind. Oh, yeah. I really liked the questions that Leah gave us or at least the thoughts behind how to sniff test a role that's new to an organization to determine if you should take it. I don't remember having a discussion with anybody else about this other than maybe Tom Delicati, where he kind of created his own position back in the first couple episodes of right. interviewing for the show. But it's a good good set of questions, good things to keep in mind and asking if this is new to the organization or not. Right, right. How mature is this role? And then trying to judge how dedicated they are to this role. Because if they aren't and they're going to let it go, then that makes your footing a little bit less uh, less than firm. I think that Leah's advice for the current job market was really good. She specifically talked about documenting your accomplishments, keeping that resume up to date. You know, we're going through a time like we're recording right now in 2023, but you know, the tech industry layoffs started in 2022. People are finding out that just because they work at a large organization doesn't mean that their positions are safe and having some groundwork already laid, you know, towards a new position is, is always a good thing. You know, maybe it's, you know, documenting your accomplishments correctly and the, the impact that you've had on other people, on revenue, on products, you know, whatever. It's Those are the things that you're going to be documenting for a promotion within your organization as well. So it's kind of two birds with one stone, right? You're, you're doing two things. Like the, the things if you stay, you know, you need to do, are the exact same things that you need to do if you're going to leave. So there's kind of no excuse not to do it. And make sure you have a copy of that stuff outside of your work bubble. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to suddenly get laid off and then 
okay, I can no longer access this documentation that I've been maintaining for five years or three years, that would be not great. <laughs> right. It would be challenging to reconstruct. Disastrous even. Yes, absolutely. That's great. You had um, kind of a, a perspective on the recruiter as an advocate, if I remember correctly. If you remember back to the very beginning, Leah felt like she was an advocate for these students that she was working with at the university. And we kind of came full circle thinking of the recruiter as an advocate for me because I'm going to talk to that person first a lot of the time. Not every time, but a lot of the time. And as she said, if the hiring manager or team hasn't met you and the recruiter has, they are your conduit to that team. They can talk you up or say, you know, we should really pass this person over. So maybe we should trust the recruiter a little bit more than we might give them credit for just out of the gate. Sort of the assumed positive intent, unless proven otherwise. Yeah, I really like that attitude. Assume positive intent is something that I've kind of written down. It's a good, good motto. But I think that when it comes to job searches, you know, people are a little bit wary of recruiters, a little bit wary of sharing too much information, a little bit wary of saying the first, first number when it comes to salaries, all those kinds of things. If you think about the recruiter as your advocate in the process, then that changes things a little bit. Which is not to say that the recruiter doesn't work for that organization. Of, of course, you you know you don't fully disclose like, well, listen, I, if they came back and asked me to do it for this much money, I'd probably say yes. But I want you to ask for more like that. You know, maybe you you don't you don't go that far. But assume positive intent and uh, think about that person as your advocate. It's because they're trying to get high quality candidates to pass the pass the interview process and get hired. You know, that's their metric for success. So as much as possible, you are part of their road to success. Be that perfect candidate, right? It is a personnel sizing exercise on the recruiter's part. If they don't know the size of salary and all the other things, just like you would size a technology infrastructure to make an enterprise grade, if you don't size it right, you can't quote it right and know how much it's going to cost you to buy the licenses or the extra servers or... It's a similar analogy in my mind to what the recruiter does for a candidate. Can we buy yeah. this candidate? Yeah. My, you know, the price they quoted me was this. This looks like something we can afford. Yeah. So you have to know your, the range of your acquisition cost, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you know, here's my low end and here's my high end. And it really depends on the, the type of responsibilities that they're asking me to take on and the amount of work. And at the same time, I need to know the, the price range that they're thinking about or, you know, the acceptable candidate to the, to the standout candidate, you know, they have a, a price range that they're looking to acquire somebody for. And after you've passed, you know, all the interviews and you're doing the negotiation like that, having everybody's cards on the table kind of short circuits that process. Well, I feel like we've talked this not quite to death, but we've talked about it a lot and I'm looking forward to, the next time we have Leon and we'll collect all of our thoughts for follow-up questions and all of your thoughts and uh, ideas for follow-up questions, dear listener, go ahead and send those to us at Nerd Journey on Twitter. Our DMs are open, of course. Before we start recording too long, Nick, anything pop in your mind before we kind of close out the evening? 
Speaking of recruitment, we're always recruiting good guests. So if you want to be a guest, have a great story to share, or know someone who should be a guest, please reach out and let us know. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. All right. Farewell, listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at VJourneyman, for Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios.